Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show my good friend, Logan. Now, many of you will know Logan from his Substack, Think Bitcoin, from many of the articles that he's written for Bitcoin Magazine. He is a lawyer, a progressive. We get into that in terms of progressive and maybe what that term might mean going forward. Um, a proud Bitcoiner, and we get into all sorts of fun topics, talking about society, talking about political labels, talking about capital P progressive versus lowercase p progressive, and most importantly, progressive values and how those align with Bitcoin and where progressives might be going moving forward in this day and age when many politicians have let progressives down in the past. The political system is really fraught with mistrust and not sure where people fit in politically. There's a lot of politically homeless folks that are looking for some cause to rally around, uh, around and somewhere to move forward in. And that's where we're hoping Bitcoin comes into play. So we talk about all of those things and we talk about a lot of things that progressives, I think, really need to hear about the world as it is and how Bitcoin fits into that in some of the most important ways to solve problems. So I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. And my hope is that any progressives or folks from the left listening to this podcast, listening to this conversation, if you're newer to Bitcoin, that this will be a launching pad for you to learn more about a lot of the really important topics that we're talking about in here through Logan's work, through other resources in the Bitcoin community, and a lot of the things that we re referenced here that I'll include in the show notes. So I hope you all will continue to explore with us as we look to answer some of uh, life's toughest questions um, and ponder a lot of these these questions that don't have easy solutions, but we're here trying to figure it out all together and really appreciate you all joining us. And please feel free to share this podcast uh, with anyone you think would really value hearing this. Um, all right, before we get to the episode, be sure to mention our sponsors as well, uh, Bitbox and SAS Mining. So be sure to check out those referral links uh, below for discounts there. And we will see you again next week. Hey, Logan, welcome back to the Progressive Bitcoiner. How are you? Hey, Trey, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. It's been a minute since we were just talking about this, since you've been on podcasts, been writing some longer articles and things like that. So I'm really excited to put this conversation out into the universe. Um, I think to have you back in the space a little bit more. Thank you for some of these things. Um, it always feels like there's a million things happening at once in Bitcoin, but I think anytime we get closer to a like political election cycle, we've got the halving, we've got so many different things going on. Uh, it's definitely an exciting time to throw things back into the mix. So really, really been looking forward to this conversation and glad we found a time to do it because um, a lot of people are really interested in hearing for you too. Yeah, I'm, uh, I definitely, we were kind of joking beforehand you know, I, I took a little bit of a, uh, I was writing a lot for a year or two, a um, couple of years, took a little sabbatical, um, which is nice. I think I would actually encourage people from time to time to kind of unplug a little bit from the, the ecosystem and just make sure that your thoughts and, and feelings aren't being scripted, um, so to speak, and, uh, and then kind of just returning with, with a bit of freshness. Um, so I'm really excited to be back. I feel like I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, on all of the things that are going on in the space these days and excited to get into it. And I'm excited, I think, with the timing of this episode for multiple reasons. And I think, too, because, you know, we were just talking about, obviously, you're, you know, Mark and the, the podcast before June and then me coming in in June, getting all of these different thoughts and ideas and, and working with Mark about what the approach is going to be going forward and trying to build up this 
this platform of, you know, the progressive Bitcoiner when there's, like I was just saying, a million different views that follow under progressivism. What does that mean in terms of values? What does that mean in terms of Bitcoin? What does that mean me personally? You know, all, all of these different things. But one thing I'm excited too is I think um, the mission and vision for me with what we're doing here or what I'm trying to do here is becoming more clear. And one of my hopes is that Bitcoin will be a renaissance, if you will, for progressives to get excited about it. Not get excited about, oh, Bitcoin ETF or Bitcoin number or Bitcoin the thing, but Bitcoin as a tool to help progressives address the systemic issues that we've really had a tough time with, especially the last several years. And I think a lot of progressives, at least in my circles, are disenfranchised with politics. And we'll kind of get into this, like capital P progressives versus lowercase. And just don't know what to do, you know, fighting so many battles on inequality, climate change, corporate greed, social justice, all of this, um, you know, in some ways it's been a little bleak in terms of following politicians to lead us. Uh, that hasn't been too great. I'll speak for myself, at least. It hasn't been such a great feeling the past few years. So really excited to have this conversation because I'm like, Bitcoin, I'm hoping can get progressives excited again about, you know, let's go and change the world. Let's do some of these things. So I'm really excited to talk with you about this. And before we get too much into the conversation, um, I'd love for you to retell maybe a little bit, maybe a, a brief version of your own Bitcoin story. Um, you've written about it. I'll you know be sure to share the articles and things that you've written about this. But if you want to just tell people who maybe don't know that story a little bit about how you how you got into to Bitcoin. Sure. Um, yeah. So I the first time I you know, discovered Bitcoin, I guess you can say I was in law school, I think it was 2016 or 2017. Um, randomly saw a podcast that was talking about cryptocurrency. I had no, no idea what the hell that was. Uh, but it sounded really interesting. So I listened to it. It was with Nick Zabo, um, actually. So and I found it totally fascinating. It was something that I had just never thought of before ever. Uh, so I went and read Digital Gold, I think was the only book at the time about you know bitcoin and cryptocurrencies this is pre bitcoin standard read that got kind of into it uh bitcoin went crazy in that cycle obviously all of my friends in law school everybody was getting coinbase accounts and buying all of it and everybody thought they were a genius myself included and uh i you know i, I sold got out um and continued to think about it um actually my my third year of law school i i you know took a securities regulation class we actually spent a lot of time talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum securities regulation. Um, but you know, he was not, um, no, I was not at MIT. Um, I have watched that lecture series though, uh, that he did. And I was misled by that lecture series as I think many of us were into thinking that he would be, um, a little more, a little more measured than he, um, has, has to be. But so anyway, so I, I, you know, I was kind of Bitcoin was in the back of my mind a little bit until 2020, but I didn't really get back into it until COVID happened. 2020, um, stock market collapses and, uh, you know, in very, very quickly, despite the world being in complete chaos, total uncertainty, uh, nobody really knew you know, what was going to happen. Stock market recovers and goes nuts. And I just thought that was really bizarre and weird. And so I started digging into it. Only people who seem to be talking about that were the Bitcoin maxis on twitter so i kind of entered twitter um and started reading everything and went down the rabbit hole 
as we all do. And, um, you know, I think the rabbit hole has different stages and plateaus, as I'm sure you, you know, are also on it. We're, we're all on our own respective journeys there. Um, but I uh, started writing, started uh, putting my thoughts out there and publishing things and talking with other people, obviously, like, uh, you know, Mark, um, your predecessor on the show and, uh, you know, just other podcasts that perhaps some people have seen um, or heard of. And uh, and yeah, and here we are today. I I think the, the last time I published something might have been almost a year ago. I'm kind of back to working on a few things now, uh, which I'm excited about. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I write a lot about Bitcoin and politics. I, I personally come from a left-leaning background, like I assume uh, much of your audience does. Um, and so that's kind of the perspective that, uh, that I'm, that I'm bringing to Bitcoin, uh, politically. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm like you, I'm very, very excited about the ways that I think Bitcoin can almost force an evolution of what we refer to now as progressive politics and uh, kind of force what I think will be useful generative mutations of that way of thinking. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I think, uh, you know, looking back on some of your articles that again, I remember reading kind of live, especially, I mean, I got into Bitcoin and dug really into the rabbit hole, probably like March, 2021. Um, which at this point is crazy to me. That's two and a half years ago. Cause I always kept saying, I just got in, I just got in. I'm like, it's like two and a half years now. It's not nothing, but it's not, you know, 2012, 2016, whatever. Um, but through all of the different roller coasters since then, and I remember your, you know, especially in 2022, a lot of those articles coming out and going back to them, you know, some articles are very much in the moment. Um, and I think you strike a balance. I'll commend you. I, you know, I go back and read them. I'm like, you could have written that last week. Like a lot of these things are aging really, really well. And, you know, I don't know how much of that was intentional. A lot of it probably is just where, where you're at in the type of writing style you do, but they're aging really well. So it's like, anytime I share this one, especially lowercase capital case P and kind of, kind of that, that article, which I actually have up on, on the screen here, um, ages really well. Um, and, and some of the thoughts, and I'd love to dig more into that with you today. Um, especially. Yeah. Um, for those that are, cause more and more as the pod gets a little bit bigger and ideally as the pod doesn't, uh, just focus on an audience of progressive Bitcoiners, you know, the, the dozens of us, um, meme now it's, it's growing a bit more. And fortunately, unfortunately, you know, when price action happens, you start getting people saying, huh, um, let me look at that Bitcoin thing. And hopefully we'll get some more people that are coming in and hearing some of these podcasts being intrigued by different things don't know anything about Bitcoin and some things that I probably on many episodes have taken for granted, depending on the episode, right? So trying to speak more to that, that audience, um, for you just starting off, if someone hears progressive and, and Bitcoiner, what are we even on about? You know, what are, what are we trying to articulate in saying Bitcoin has progressive values or Bitcoin can speak to progressives and why for you is that of focus as well. Why do you, why do you feel that that's important? I think that when we say things like uh, Bitcoin is progressive or Bitcoin has progressive values, I think for lots of people on both sides of the political spectrum, that is a triggering thing to say. And I think it's triggering because there's 
an inherent conflation between what I've referred to as capital P progressive and lowercase p progressive, which I think is also a symptom of just how polarized our and tribal our political climate is today, such that when we say a word like progressive, everybody immediately runs it through um, you know, our current American polarized political filters. And we sort of, which is almost kind of a shortcut to thinking, and, and we just kind of say, oh, no, one side says that can't possibly be true, right? Um, I'm sure you've gotten this feedback before, Trey. When I wrote uh, an article called From Bernie to Bitcoin, I had so many people comment, you lost me as soon as you said the word Bernie. Um, so you have that side of the political aisle reacts with incredulity, um, if not outright offense and anger. Um, and uh, you know, thinking it's preposterous to put those two words together, and then, but you also have on the left with people who would say, "Yes, I am a, a, a political progressive." You have, I think, a lot of suspicion. I think this is changing a little bit, and we can get into why. But there's definitely a lot of suspicion there um, for for various reasons, and they're not exactly jumping on the train either. I think part of that has to do with the uh, you know the distinction between capital P and lower P progressivism, but where I kind of start is if I'm talking to a friend um, who is kind of of the same political background as me about Bitcoin, I'm, I'm probably without explicitly doing it, trying to disentangle capital P progressive from lowercase p. And, and it's probably useful to just do that now so we can stop saying like the mouthful of capital P and lowercase p. But, um, you know, for me, and I wrote a piece about this a while ago, capital P progressive. Um, you know, refers to a politically formalized subset of the Democratic Party that I think we're all familiar with. It is a political partisan, it's a party identity. Um, it's a political tribe and, um, you know, with, with a, its own political platform. Whereas I think lowercase p progressive is more about, it, it's more about kind of a, um, you know, a discourse of ideas, the intent behind them being to hopefully achieve maybe I would say maximum aggregate human happiness while also preserving, um, you know, a certain level of sovereignty and freedom. Maybe we could say creating a nice equilibrium of, of power between the citizenry, the populace and the government and not having that tip too far in either direction. Um, but I, I think lowercase p progressive is not itself an identity. It does not, you know, you know, being somebody who thinks about lowercase p progressive ideas does not bestow a particular partisan identity upon you. And I don't think it makes you beholden to one of them. Whereas I think capital P progressive people are ultimately kind of thinking, well, I don't, maybe I don't know, maybe I'm not in the weeds on, on this particular issue, but what does Elizabeth Warren think about it? Um, and then that will be what I think about it. Um, because she is my, she's, you know, a figurehead, one of, of, of many figureheads of what we would call capital P progressivism. Um, and so now I think with, with respect to Bitcoin values, I think there are, are issues or, or values that, that Bitcoin uniquely addresses or offers um, some really interesting perspectives on that I think capital P progressives are purportedly interested in. Um, but I think in order to draw them over, you have to sort of, instead of I would advocate for, you know, instead of pitching to the, the outward facing political 
affiliation, the outward facing formal identity, pitching to the values and saying, you know, you purportedly care deeply about such and such an issue. Um, you know, have you thought about, you know, the, the way that, you know, you can then describe the ways in which Bitcoin addresses something like that and, and, and sort of begin the discussion that way. But, um, but it's, it's complicated. I think the relationship between Bitcoin and, and progressive politics is, is complicated. I think there are some surface level alluring ways to link the two that are upon further scrutiny, maybe not as tight, um, which we can get into as well. But I do think, uh, what I'm hopeful of is, like I said in the beginning, I, I'm hopeful that I think all, all capital P progressives and, and left-leaning folks in this country are, are understandably frustrated uh, with how things have, have gone politically. And I'm hoping that Bitcoin, as it kind of flowers in our collective political consciousness, will um, you know, force some evolution in, in uh, you know, progressive politics and, and how we think about it. Yeah, and I, I think... I mean, there's so many things in what you said, but one of the things that can be challenging, and I think anyone coming into Bitcoin has to unlearn some things, but I think in particular for the left, there's some of the things that I had to unlearn. I mean, you learn a lot about money. You learn a lot about incentives for things like energy, uh, market incentives, all of these things that I think folks on the the left left, I think shy away from. And I've mentioned this several times on the pod, but you know, we don't really talk about money we don't really talk about to do all of these things. It takes money to do these good things in the world. It's just kind of an icky subject for, for the left um, in, in general. But I think one of the things that progressives coming in and something that I got frustrated with and I'm like, I want to move past is like, I would like to see some things change, right? I would like to see climate change addressed in a different way. Like our greenhouse gas emissions are through the roof still. Like not, we haven't made the progress that we should make there. We need to do things a little different there to, to see that change. I want outcomes, right? And I think a lot of progressives, if you really sit them down, if you really get them out of the context of what should be the language we talk about, social media, a particular protester moment, you know, get their honest thoughts away from maybe their friend group or whatever about like, well, what do you want? Well, I, I want to see different outcomes, right? I want like okay, I've got all of this student loan debt. I don't know what my future is going to look like. I don't know what the climate is going to look like in the future. Can I ever buy a house? A lot of these like practical things, you have to unlearn some things. And I think one thing for progressives, but also capital P progressive politicians is we have to reconcile that the world is the way it is, right? The world isn't what we want it to be yet. And one of the factors is greed and incentives is a powerful incentive, right? So teaching people about Bitcoin mining and how that can ramp up renewable transition and more articles that are coming out about that. Like these, these companies aren't going to just do the right thing, right? Out of the goodness of their heart, right? We need to use market incentives to bring about good change. That's something that is a very hard conversation for progressives to have. And I want to be real about that, right? Because, you know, when we talk too much about Bitcoin fixes this, Bitcoin fixes that, it's almost sometimes from a progressive who is outside of that bubble can sound like we're greenwashing politically. We're just like saying that it's progressive, but I do want to actually talk about how in these ways it is, but you know what? Like see this guy, uh, Michael Saylor hoarding a lot of Bitcoin. Um, what does that look like? Like there's going to be people that are going to be incredibly rich on this Bitcoin standard world. How do we reconcile that? So there's some real conversations to be had that hopefully 
if we can get through more of this misinformation that there's been a lot of good strides on the environmental end for so many people like Troy, Margo, Daniel Batten, so many others pushing through this narrative to where we have more, you know, realistic fact-based reporting about Bitcoin mining, then we can actually talk about some of the complicated stuff of like, what does it fix? What doesn't it? And that's where I'm hoping we're, we're getting to um, through, through all of these things. Yeah, likewise. And I, I think it's important to, um, especially those of us who are kind of inside of the Bitcoin space and we're having conversations with other people about, you know, in the Bitcoin space, and we're trying to then transfer that discussion, like you said, to folks who are not really in this every day, thinking about this every day. I do think it's important to temper the language a little bit and the, the picture that we're painting, um, I, because it's not, you know, the, the Bitcoin fixes everything meme. Um, you know, there is a powerful grain of of truth uh, to to that, but it's not it's not actually true, uh, and so I think it's. Having, and I think folks who who I, I think a lot of folks who come from left leaning politics or the progressive side of things politically would would probably look at that and say, I need you to actually give me more nuance than that. That's not really gonna that's not really gonna persuade you. You say that and you sound insane. Um, and even if there's some level of uh, uh, of truth or or at least um you know, some, some compelling things to think about along those lines. Um, I do think it's important to have a more measured, more kind of data-based real life discussion about the ways in which Bitcoin, um, can make a lot of things better, hopefully. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I'm, I'm wondering too, I, I will be excited for us to transition out of the lowercase P capital P, you know, I, cause I could see someone being like, you're, you're just, okay, you're, you're trying so hard to differentiate, but we're still at such an early stage of this. And I, I do hope that I had this conversation early on, funny enough, with like my wife when she started to really understand Bitcoin. She was like, if it's just money, why like why is it like obviously it's not just money, but in the sense of like if it's a neutral tool, why is it politicized? And I'm like, it's a great question. You know, it it shouldn't be. It is political in the sense that it is a you know, it's revolutionary, like apart from the system, but it's not political, like amongst us as people, it's political in the sense that it removes power from these traditional powers that be and returns it to people. Right. So in that way it is, but I, to my wife, I'm like, that's a great point. And my hope is that one day I can stop saying progressive Bitcoin or so much in the same sentence. That would be the goal. Like Boston, this is such a silly example, but like Boston children's hospital, their mission is until every child is well, I guess the progressive Bitcoiners mission is until we don't have to keep saying progressive Bitcoiner and progressives don't view it as like, a, oh, it's for U.S. libertarians or the Republican Party stops using it as a pawn for their own uh, you know, advantage where it's just a tool and it's just better money that is here. That's the goal. I think it's interesting that in this country, we I would actually be curious to to hear other other folks from other countries talk about what their experience is. But in in this country, we run every single issue every single thought gets run through a political filter because everything is what we, we do like kind of politics almost as entertainment it's like all encompassing all day every day um entertainment here uh, which i i think your wife's question is it is almost profound and it's in like how to the point it is because um it, it makes you think about why why is it that every single issue in this country we run through 
these political filters and why is it that in this country when we think of political parties and we're thinking well is this thing a republican thing is it a democrat thing is it a libertarian thing why is it we're, we're human beings who are who are, have proven historically to be pretty imaginative um and pretty innovative and, and capable of being pretty thoughtful why is it that we insist upon constraining ourselves to to those labels which themselves are incredibly entrenched and totally ossified and um not really uh, you know evolving um meaningfully or in the ways that we would like to see why are we why are we not thinking more about can we move is there a way that we can move beyond those filters that we can move beyond um the constraints of just you know these three or four political parties and really it's just two um and and that's because you know, i agree we could we could belabor the distinction you know between capital p and lowercase p progressive to death and we could labor kind of political distinctions um in general to death um but that's also because that's where that's where the country is that's how everybody in this country thinks about things and i think hopefully we can you know bitcoin can be a way that, that that kind of forces people to start to reconsider some of these uh presuppositions of their political lives and you and i have talked before trey about how a lot of our friends are starting to feel politically homeless they're starting to feel like they're they don't belong anywhere they're kind of in a, a no man's land where um and i think that's a huge opportunity i think that's also will ultimately be a productive thing um and maybe we can get into that but but yeah it's um it, it just unfortunately just is where we where we are in this country this is where the state of the discourse is hyper hyper politicized yeah. And I, uh, again, like I said earlier, you know, we're, we're talking about the world as it is and for better or for worse, for worse, everything, most things are partisan bent for so many different factors. And a huge part of it is politicians and media outlets that perpetuate that because it gets them reelected and it makes the media outlets money. So that's a huge reason this cycle continues. And I remember, I know Jason has received it. I know probably Mark had many times before. Anyone who's progressive in the space, you know, why are you trying to make Bitcoin political, right? Using these language, using these words, this and that. I'm like, well, you know, a lot of it for me is I'm using these words and language specifically because there is such a partisan filter here. And because as it stands, since at least very conservatively estimate between like 2018 and now, is really when Bitcoin ramped up into this more political thing, right? You've got more of the toxic maxi libertarian bent on Bitcoin and things like that. Before that, you know, I've heard from folks that were in the space before that it wasn't it wasn't as much that, um, you know, it could have been a bit more nerdy. Yes, there was the libertarian bent still and things like that, but it really ramped up with COVID, all of these other things, right? So that is the world we are in. When a lot of my normal friends who hear about Bitcoin either don't know anything about it, that's probably a huge part, or just like, oh, okay. Or it's the U.S. libertarian bent, it's Ted Cruz, it's toxic maxi, it's libertarian, crazy right-wing conspiracy stuff, right? I'm not saying that's a good thing. It, it, it is not. I'm not, and obviously that's not what it is. That's the world we live in. So yeah, I'm very intentional about talking about the progressive values in Bitcoin so that people can unlearn that Bitcoin is not political in that sense. It is a neutral tool for everyone. And yeah, your enemies are going to use it too. Like Ted Cruz is going to talk about, you know, North Korea could use it. These are, these are things that are a reality when you have a money like this, right? Um, th that's kind of the reality that we need to talk about as well in this. Yeah, um, a lot there for sure. Um, I think 
No, I was thinking about one of the things that you said earlier, um, where you were talking about trying to explain to some of your friends, um, and this is related to, you know, the world as it is, so to speak. Um, and you were talking about market incentives. Um, and I don't want to jump ahead in the conversation because I'm assuming we'll talk about the environment a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, I, um, or maybe, maybe this is a good point where we can talk about, I think there are ways in which Bitcoin is not progressive at all, at least in a capital progressive way. Um, and I think maybe, you know, Trey, my spiciest take probably, and I don't even, I don't know how spicy this is, but I would, I would feel pretty comfortable saying, I don't think that Bitcoin is progressive in a capital P progressive way. Um, at all. I think there are some places where there's a, a, a fruitful intersection, but I think even some of the, the areas where people think it intersects more extensively than it does, it breaks down a little bit um, under scrutiny. Um, and not that it breaks the, uh, you know, the opposite political direction, just that it doesn't perfectly match the progressive thing. And, and um, I've kind of recently turned more, instead of advocate trying to pitch to people's political um, affiliation, try to, to pitch to values for that reason. But um, maybe one place to start, because I'm sure you know people might be wondering where do you, this is a show about progressives and Bitcoiners. Um, you know, does are there places where Bitcoin is or is not progressive? And you know, what, what would we say about about that? Um, and I think for me, this is what I think about a lot is and you know you and i both tweeted a lot about this trey is um you know from it's difficult to pitch bitcoin to a a, a political progressive because the economic policies of progressives are not just not compatible with bitcoin they're they're outright antithetical to bitcoin um diametrically opposed um you know two poles um you know philosophically so to invite a progressive to sort of consider the progressivism of Bitcoin, if they're running it through that political filter, you're essentially asking them to abandon the entire economic philosophical underpinning of their other party, uh, which I think is a huge ask. Um, and I also think at that point, if you're abandoning that, are you a progressive? Um, and I think folks, and I, well, I also think this is demonstrated if you've seen the tweets from, from Biden or even like Senator Bob Casey recently, Biden's inflation um, price gouging quote yesterday, which, which is, you know, demonstrates a level of economic illiteracy. And I don't think we necessarily expect the president to be economically literate because no president has been especially economically literate um, in a while. I mean, Trump certainly was not. Um, but um, then I think the next place where where I see a lot of progressive Bitcoiners go is they say, oh, well, the climate. Um, and this is where what you said was so interesting earlier, the way you phrased this, Trey, um, is I think the issue of whether a shared interest in the climate you know, makes Bitcoin progressive or should make Bitcoin attractive to progressives, I think it's a fascinating issue because initially on the surface, I think those of us who are left-leaning would want to say, oh, well, yeah, of course. And this is obviously progressive. Like Bitcoin is able, you're able to do these really cool things with, you're able to put Bitcoin uh, miners in landfills. You're able to capture methane emissions um, and, and do super cool stuff with that and stranded energy. You're able to balance loads. You're able to encourage the build out of, uh, you know, um, 
electrical grids and things that we will need in order to transition to um, you know a greener economy. Um, but and, and of course, on the surface, we say, "Wow, that sounds incredibly progressive. That sounds deeply, profoundly progressive." Um, but what you said earlier was correct. The the ways in which Bitcoin is doing that with the climate are based around market incentives. They're based around like private actors um, acting on market incentives, market impulses. They are financially incentivized to do this. And it just also happens that it's good for the environment as well. And so I think when we're talking about whether a solution to a big issue like, and it's not the solution, but whether a, a, an effective tool for fighting climate change, it, when we're talking about that and, and, and we're thinking about, well, is that the, the political left would, would normally look to use tools like kind of like government, uh, I don't want to say outright coercion, but a little bit, you know, government influence top down the state saying, hey, guys, this is a problem and we should all recycle more and you guys all need to be morally inspired to to kind of act on your own and we need to you know put x y and z uh, limitations in these areas and i'm not saying those are good or bad things but it's largely not been incredibly effective and most people on the political left would scoff and have historically scoffed at the idea of there being a private sector solution um and again, I, I don't want to say the, the solution, but a, a private sector um, tool that can be effective as effective um, and you have the potential to be even more effective than kind of a, a state-centered top-down mandate. But that's the way that Bitcoin is addressing um, or is being used to tackle things like emissions, which are, which are important for climate change. Um, and I think that's really fascinating because actually it's, it's, the mechanisms, the way that it works is, is, is kind of beautiful, um, elegant. And that's Bitcoin is this, this really elegant, um, just in, incredible incentive system. And it kind of breaks branching out now. And those, that incentive system is, is, is being implemented, um, to address things like climate change. But you know, the, the way you phrased it by saying, Hey, it's uncomfortable to talk to people on the left about market incentives potentially being effective here um, because that's historically been viewed by the left as you know a Mitt Romney talking point as we should give the private sector um you know let them try to sort some problems out that's traditionally been not a uh, uh something that the political left has been particularly um you know encouraged or impressed by yeah, you know, this conversation, I almost want to be like, all right, progressives, let's huddle in. Let's, you know, I, sometimes I do too. Even yesterday, I was like, I think James Lavish posted something about inflation. I was like, progressives, let's have a chat. Like, and one thing I want to touch on, because, you know, I, I would encourage everyone, and I try to do this on this podcast, because every time I've come into a conversation, first of all, I not only have these conversations that I hope other people enjoy, but I get to learn an incredible amount talking with people reading their resources, listening back to episodes, having off-channel conversations that I feel incredibly privileged to have with people that sometimes are in my camp, such as yourself, sometimes other people who are on this podcast to talk about certain topics, but we might differentiate on some uh, values or some thoughts. Like I'm not only having my brand of progressive on this podcast, you know, I'm having conversations with many different people that I think would be interesting in 
thinking through progressive values in, in Bitcoin. So experts on money, expert on energy grids, expert on workforce and labor, you know, all of this. But one thing I will say is we can say that government coercion or top-down tactics in this area has not been working. Does that mean that this is a huge other conversation? Does that mean that private sector and market-only solutions work in every facet of everything? No. And that's where I might deviate from the anarcho-capitalists or something like that, you know, who some of those folks will be like, climate change is not real and not an issue. No, like on this podcast, you are usually going to talk in a way that suggests for me, you know, that is a concern I'm thinking through. And with that in mind, the way we've been approaching renewable energy projects and things to lessen our greenhouse gas emissions and reduce our reliance on fossil fuels in a safe and effective way for everyone, by the way, um, has not been working, right? Like California is a prime example of this. There's so many different specific instances where they have made it really hard for folks to access and drill oil, which in some cases is good. It really depends on the specific instance. But then in other cases, we've seen time and time again, they have then had to resort to getting oil shipped in from Venezuela. How does that make any sense for the climate? How does that make any sense supporting uh, a hostile regime? How does that make any sense on supporting American companies in dollars? But me saying this right now is very controversial, right? Like, and, and I'm, uh, again, this is even stupid. I think it's still baked in me. I'm like, I promise I'm a progressive, right? Yeah. Um, I it, think it's, it's really funny. I, it's but really, it's fascinating. I think the way that you articulated that, Trey, was also a, um, a really, I think it was a really good way of kind of modeling what, at least for me, I am hoping Bitcoin starts to do to the way people think um, as, as they sort of learn more about it. Because what you just did, the way you just articulated that thought process was you took a nuanced position. You said, okay, this is not an all or nothing proposition. We're not saying that in every imaginable scenario, every conceivable scenario that the private market solution or, a, or some tool that is um, you know, based around market incentives is going to be the most effective tool or the most desirable tool or the tool with the least amount of, of side effects. Um, but, what we're, but what you're saying is, you're, you're essentially saying, but I will concede and think it's important to concede that in some instances, I mean, in all instances, we should look at the evidence and see what is effective. And there, there may be some instances like this one where a private market solution is, is really compelling. Um, a private market tool is, is, is very compelling and is having some results that the, um, that the government has not been able to, to get, um, by, by doing top-down policy stuff and you know, but I, like you said, that the reflex that I think we have to sort of say, you know, but I promise, I swear, like I'm still on the team, you know, I'm not, I'm not defecting, uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that that, you know, that kind of reflex starts to atrophy a little bit, the more that Bitcoin forces some nuance, um, and forces people to reflect and think, well, what do you care more about? Do you care more about being in sort of perfect um, ideological lockstep with your political tribe, no matter what, or do you, are you more interested in, um, trying to tackle a problem that you care about? Are you more, are you more interested in finding the most effective tools to fight climate change? Or are you more interested in, um, you know, aligning your policy positions as perfectly as possible with Elizabeth Warren? Um, cause those things are not actually, I think a lot of people think those things are one and the same, 
Bitcoin kind of shows you is a way of demonstrating that they are not one. They are very much not one and the same. They've never been one and the same. But I think Bitcoin is 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 a really effective way to get people to to see that disjunction. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the Bitbox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank Bitbox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, and I think two two different people that I'll, I'll shout out in terms of politicians that I think helped pave a way for progressives to view things differently were Bernie and Andrew Yang. Bernie in the sense that he was anti-establishment and the DNC squashed him in any chances and wanted to, right? So in a lot of parts that, you know, the left, this was a guy calling out the left on some things. Um, and I still think to this day in some regards, and again, whatever there, I feel like I'm, I have to add so many different asterisks here because of what we're describing. I'm like, this does not mean I endorse every single Bernie thought. This does not mean if you're listening and you disagree with me, that's okay. You know, that's fine. It's just saying in that moment, that was a divergence from the Democratic Party that led to a potential split and a new way of thinking about issues that persist to this day. Andrew Yang was someone that came in, started talking about universal basic income, started talking about technology, started talking about our systems are not working, our political parties are broken. Do I think that he or any of them would have made the best presidential candidate? That's not even what we're talking about here. I'm just saying they brought about a new way of thinking that completely decoupled from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. There are a huge amount of people that agreed with a lot of what they were saying that have been politically homeless since then. And I think for the average everyday progressive, most of them align with the things they were talking about. I would suggest that most younger people and most progressives want to see technology used as a force for good. So they'd probably be open to Bitcoin if they removed that tribalism, right? They want to see climate change addressed. They don't care what market structure or government structure or whatever they would like to see it addressed. They would like to see healthcare more affordable. They would like to see abortion access protected. They'd like to see trans rights reinforced. You know, these, these values that people are really passionate progressives because of these social issues. I would suggest that at the end of the day, a lot of these people, everyday people are not looking at well, I need a government solution only, or I need a private solution only, or these economic factors. Most of them are not educated on this. I certainly was not. So you teach people and you talk to people about this and they're like, oh, okay, I can, I can see where you're coming from on this. That I think is the general population. That's not where you're going to find on Twitter though, right? That's not what you're going to find on, you know, TikTok or Instagram ads or, or whatever um, for, for different issues. But, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's kind of the whole you know, 80% or 70% of Americans are going to agree on XYZ or a lot of the polls are suggesting on different social issues of what Americans care about. These things keep popping up. Um, that, that's, that's who I'm trying to speak to. I think like Elizabeth Warren, if she never gets it, she probably never will. That's fine. If people want to hold on for dear life to whatever Elizabeth Warren is saying, I'm going to be honest, I think that's like 5% of people, right? Like at the end of the day, they're like, I'm not going to question anything anymore. <laughs> that's 
those days are a little bit over, right? For 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 better or for worse, um, we've gotten very comfortable questioning things. Yeah, which is which is encouraging. And you know, like we've been saying, I I think it we do we are in a time now where more and more people are questioning more things and are are becoming a little more, um, you know, curious about their their own political affiliations and a little more politically homeless, um, which I do think is a huge opportunity. And I'm hopeful that like I am I am much more optimistic on and bullish on, frankly, the idea of Bitcoin contributing to um, or I guess Bitcoin ultimately um, or political parties capitulating to Bitcoin and not the other way around, um, which is not to say that I think Bitcoin is or should be the number one political issue in America. I don't. Um, but, but I think, um, sometimes we who are a little bit left leaning in the Bitcoin space are trying to, um, sort of make Bitcoin capitulate to existing political parties. When I think given the current climate that there are a lot of people who are starting to question those things and are looking for some unifying, something that will make their, their values feel politically coherent. Um, you know, instead of trying to make Bitcoin capitulate to what is progressive or what is Republican, um, realizing that it's, it's more exciting to pursue this longer term project, I think of, uh, which I think is sort of inevitable that political parties will eventually sort of capitulate. Um, and, and hopefully we can have a, a little bit of a reshuffling. I think, I think they'll kind of be forced to, because uh, I think it'll be a situation Bitcoin is this once Bitcoin kind of gets into the water, so to speak, um, it gets into people's brains, gets into the discourse. It, it just naturally will lead people to question more things. And, um, this is all a little bit cliche and a little hackneyed, but I do think that, um, that that ultimately is going to create a, an environment where if you are an existing political party, especially as generationally, we kind of pass from boomers to the next generation of, of leaders and politicians, um, that there's going to be this, you either evolve or die. Um, you know, there's, there's only going to be so many people who are going to be down for like shared Brown's, uh, you know, let's just revive FDR, um, on, on all fronts, you know, if, if in like 15 years from now, I'm not sure that, and he's, he'll be old 15 years from now too. I'm not just trying to pick on him. Um, you know, but, but it's just, I think we're in this moment where we're generationally turning over a little bit. And um, I think our political parties and the way we self-sort, the way we sort um, politically has not evolved, changed, mutated um, at the same pace that I think we are kind of philosophically and generationally turning over. Um, so I do think that Bitcoin will, will hopefully be an accelerant, um, kind of like a catalyzing force um, in, in kind of making these new coalitions that might today to us seem to be kind of strange bedfellows. Um, but new, new alliances of people with a little bit more nuanced views, maybe a little more heterodox views, people who hold the um, kind of radical belief that you can disagree with somebody on maybe a few things, agree with them on the majority of things, and that's kind of okay, and that's, that's good. You know, that's uh, kind of the best that can be hoped for, um, rather than the sort of strict purity testing, um, perfect alignment uh, you know, regime that we have now. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to touch too, when you mentioned like, you know, Bitcoin should not be the most important issue in this country or something like that. 
what I think and what I hope people who are who are Bitcoiners or advocating for Bitcoin, things like that, what we have seen after going through the rabbit hole, at least for me, it was like, okay, this wealth inequality, wow, it keeps getting worse and worse based on this fiat debt cycle, inflation target, that form of economics. This has only been benefiting that 1%. So it's taking those values and ideals I had, but giving it a context to say, oh, shit, that is a part of the problem. Oh my God, they're trying to pull you know, the wool over our eyes. Like, wow, that's, uh, that's good. And whether they realize it or not, some of them genuinely do, but a large number of them are so enthralled in their own system and way of thinking. So it's like, you know, Bitcoiners are, we're passionate about Bitcoin because these systems are broken and not working. They need to be completely thrown out. And we know and see that politicians are so incentivized to pass, you know, it's hot potato, like every four years, just do what I need to do to get elected, do what I need to do. And people are getting crushed year after year. And like my whole career and passion stemmed from, you know, my, my work in nonprofits that I still do to this day. And like, I am daily seeing wealth inequality, you know, homeless shelters are <laughs> getting more and more overcrowded people in the streets. Like I, I don't care what economic data I do and I don't. Right. But some of the economic data they're pushing out is completely false. Like this, that we're in a, in a debt spiral. These things are getting really bad. Bitcoin is trying to address some of these things and the battles that we're fighting. And Bitcoiners are not only going to battle about, let's make Bitcoin as easy to use and accepted and the standard and all of this. We're also coming after, okay, politicians, your time is done. You're, you're done. You need to get out. You, you need to go, right? And, and some of these other systems, right, that Bitcoin doesn't necessarily solve. I think there's so many other things like money in politics. Um, th there's so many different things that Bitcoin itself will not address. But Bitcoiners are very concerned about, and we're, we're trying to address this because we care about people. That's, that's why we're here. I, I would hope that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. The, the wealth inequality, that's such a, a fascinating topic too, because I mean, I do, it, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's glaringly obvious, I think, that um, the economic system that we have now is entirely unsustainable. Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to, I would, I guess, differ with some folks that I don't, I don't think it's going to collapse tomorrow uh, or next year or anything. Um, yeah, I agree. But I was just talking to my wife about this last night saying, you know, even within our lifetime, I think they've got a lot of tools and mechanisms to be really crafty about, you know, it'll continue getting worse and worse, but I don't personally, I don't, I wouldn't bet money on this, but I don't think we'll see some sort of end of the world apocalypse breakdown within our lifetime because they're very crafty about pushing this off in different mechanisms, right? And hiding inflation numbers and targets when in reality, they're not going to make the hard decision, which is life needs to be pretty hard and rough for a couple of years if we're really going to course correct. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you um, just because I think also, you know, currency strength is relative. So, um, you know, other, other currencies are going to struggle and, um, and have major issues before ours does. I think a lot of people underestimate how powerful the the network of the dollar is. Um, right now, it's kind of the most powerful. That's the most powerful network effects of, of like any technology on earth um, in the history of the world, probably. Um, but uh, but I do think it's clear that that things are getting increasingly difficult for an increasingly large portion of the population. And I think the conversation of the ways about the ways in which Bitcoin 
gets at wealth inequality um, deserves some nuance as well. I think I've I, I tweeted once somewhat jokingly about Michael Saylor's uh, board of Bitcoin, and I mean everybody wanted to to murder me on Twitter, and and I and I'm saying this with absolute all due respect to Michael Saylor. I I love Michael Saylor. I, I think he's a, a great. Uh, he's an incredibly intelligent spokesperson for Bitcoin, um, net positive for Bitcoin. Um, I have no problem with Michael Saylor at all. I was just using as a, him as an example, though, because I think the idea that Bitcoin fixes wealth inequality, I don't think is just true. I think what it does, what what Bitcoin has the potential to do, is kind of slow or basically stall the the pace of wealth inequality expansion over a long enough period of time. I think it takes multiple generations to kind of, to stall it. Um, right now, as you mentioned, we have a system where the the uh, separation between kind of the wealthy and the not wealthy is that a gap is, is widening at, a, at just an incredibly rapid rate. And obviously that's because of the fiat system. Everybody understands, you know, cancel on effect, closest to the money printer, you benefit from all the money printing, assets go up, yada, yada, yada. everybody knows that. Um, you know, but I think the idea- when I don't know if everyone kn knows that. Or, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I hear you say, like, it, it doesn't take long for people to, to be able to, under you can teach that to a second grader in a way, but the political classes, right now, largely Democrats, they're the ones in power, but Republicans will do it when they're in power, um, will suggest- no, you know, this is the way we're, we're combating that, or that's not really the case. Yeah, that's a fair. I'm, I'm actually glad that you called me on that, Trey, because I, because I sometimes slip into this, we're Bitcoiners in the, on a Bitcoin podcast in the Bitcoin space and take for granted that, you know, we're also talking to other people. Um, but because what you're, what you're saying is true. And I think also entirely demonstrated by, you know, Biden's tweet yesterday about where he, he basically demonstrated exactly what you just said, uh, which is that. The political classes don't seem to understand that what is causing the problem is not, you know, corporations. Um, it is not, which is not to say that corporations are entirely innocent, but um, that's not the main driver here um, of, of why this, this wealth inequality gap is increasing. Um, and, you know, where, where I think Bitcoin comes in is because Bitcoin is an economic system that is, that is not manipulable. It's, uh, you know, Michael Saylor exerts the same influence over the network as somebody with 0.0001 Bitcoin does. Um, that over time, if we become a more Bitcoinized society, over time, I think some of the drivers of, you know, some of the, the vehicles in which um, the, the already wealthy are able to benefit from, from the fiat world, they start to, we start to kind of preclude them, um, you know, from continuing to, uh, to exacerbate, exacerbate the problem. So I think, I think it would take multiple generations, um, to kind of stop all of those ways in which, um, you know, manipulation of the monetary system results in widening the gap. Um, but eventually I think you get to a point where you're, there's a lot, a lot fewer, fewer of those forces are, um, are acting on the system. But I think a huge caveat is, you know, if if a very rich person, a fiat rich person today, um, wakes up tomorrow and says, ah, "I really, I, I, you know, I've read all these books. I listen to Trey's podcast. I'm convinced that Bitcoin is a thing now." 
um, and I want to go get some, they can be, you know, very convicted or they can be not that convicted at all, but they're able to go with their current fiat wealth and buy a much larger share of Bitcoin. Um, and I'm not saying share is like security or stock. Um, so nobody freak out. I'm just saying like there are 21 million Bitcoin, they can buy more of them. Um, then, uh, you know, somebody who is maybe a, a single mom or a single dad working three jobs, uh, raising a couple of kids who's, you know, living paycheck to paycheck is able to set aside, you know, 10, $20 a week or a month, um, to, you know, try to invest in something or to advance themselves financially. And that person can have every bit as much of a conviction in Bitcoin and Bitcoin success as Michael Saylor. Well, Michael Saylor is able to buy more. Um, so what people always say to me is they go, oh, well, Michael Saylor, he deserves everything he gets because he's got so much conviction. And I say that, I hear you. Uh, and I'm not knocking Michael Saylor. But he, the way that he is able to act on that conviction is um, you know, his size, as the cliche goes, is not your size or, or somebody else's size. Um, you know, there could be somebody working three jobs, living paycheck to paycheck, who was every bit as convicted as Saylor. There, there could be somebody... Um, you know, in, uh, in, in Brazil, there can be somebody in um, Nigeria, there can be somebody in South Africa, somebody in, in Bangladesh or Vietnam, um, you know, living on way less uh, money per day than, than you or me or sailor or somebody um, here. And, and they can be every bit as convicted in Bitcoin as, as Michael Saylor, but they do not currently have the fiat wealth to be able to translate that conviction into, you know, future Bitcoin wealth in a Bitcoinized world. So in, and in obvious ways, if you are wealthy in the current fiat system and you come to you know, some belief about Bitcoin, whether it's full sailor level conviction um, or somewhere in between, you are able to position yourself more easily to also be a wealthy person in a Bitcoin world. So I think there's this narrow window right now where the understanding of that kind of wealthy class of Bitcoin has not is not fully there yet. And obviously there are a lot of, um, you know, people doing, you know, really admirable work on the ground in, you know, every country in the world. I'm trying to educate, you know, everyday regular people about Bitcoin because there's right now before the, the kind of wealthy, you know, fiat, you know, investor classes fully grok Bitcoin. There's this opportunity for people to kind of stack some stats and, um, and position themselves a little bit. But when that time comes, uh, and you know the the Larry Finks of the world. Um, and that time is that is time is coming. That is where every family office could have happened during this conversation. It, I didn't yeah, check. It, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know before we came on I mean, soonish. We were, yeah, so it's it's coming. And so I think, and so we we it's I think it's appropriate to ask the question. You know, if every fiat millionaire and billionaire right now, you know, buys one hundred thousand dollars Bitcoin in the next five years, I mean, they're still going to be positioned pretty well um, in in a Bitcoin world. But I think where, where, where Bitcoin addresses wealth inequality is, you know, once we get to that world, yes, a lot of people who are, you know, who have enjoyed the, the spoils of, the, of uh, the fiat system and enjoy kind of their proximity to the money printer, they will not be able to sustain it or perpetuate it forever as easily. I also want to clarify, I, I'm, this is like not, I'm not one of these, I'm not like anti-wealth at all. I'm not anti-people making money. I'm not anti-capitalism. Um, which I know that is a little bit controversial. So I'm not even saying this is like, oh, the, the evil fiat rich people. Uh, I'm just saying it is a reality in, in terms of, uh, of wealth. You know, it's, it's not going to be this, 
magic pill of redistribution, um, nor do I think, you know, redistribution, you know, writ large is necessarily the, the way to go. I think what optimally we want to do is have it live in a system where it's proof of work, where you, the value that you provide is compensated uh, appropriately and that world will have some wealth inequality in it. Um, and, uh, definitionally, but you want to live in a place where there isn't, there aren't massive advantages to folks who have not, um, sort of demonstrated proof of work. Yeah. And that, I'm, I'm glad you said that last point there. Cause that is, that is the progressives we're talking to. Right. And so a lot of these are just like Twitter trolls, but a lot of people will be like, ah, progressives, you can't be progressive in Bitcoin because progressives are all about stealing and wealth re uh, redistribution. And I mean, a, some people argue like any form of taxation is wealth redistribution. So like, that's not a realistic take. But no, we are not the progressives that are sitting here saying we are communists. There are, there are some from the left who would suggest we are literally communists and want to do that. that that's not who we are. I, I do not think that that coincides with Bitcoin, right? And I've never once suggested I am anything close to a communist and I am not, and neither are you on this call. Um, so that does not fit with a, with a Bitcoin worldview. But what you're saying is the uh, addressing wealth inequality, it's impossible. The needle is going further and further apart on this inflation target we have on this government spending track. And my, I think my frustration and the reason I I can get passionate in conversation or, or just even with, with friends or anything is for a very long time and continuing more and more, the capital P progressives, the, the political class of Democrats are saying, we are going to, and this is from me working in a nonprofit background where I have dealt with federal grants. I've dealt with state grants. I've dealt with a lot of things. And actually federal and state are two very different things. I think states can be very effective with policy and legislative action locally versus federal. Uh, bureaucracy. But the Democratic Party is really establishing, we're going to create this government system, this government system, this government system. And what I'm going to share right here, um, I'm starting to share a little bit more. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can check it out. For, for people listening, I've got the usdebtclock.org up. And again, this is a conversation that not enough progressives talk about. So if we are moving forward in a society where we're saying, okay, we're going to because I think every progressive, most Americans would agree, we would like people to have enough money to live, go on vacation, support their family, all of these things, right? And there might be different ways to address that, right? A lot of Democrats are saying, we're going to create these different systems and these diff different wealth care protocols. And I'm, I'm talking about more advanced ones, whether it's um, different workforce solutions, whether it's different programs that they say is going to fix poverty, right? These new initiatives, right? I think there's some basic welfare programs that are probably good they exist, right? <laughs> like Medicaid and certain things, like there are certain things that some Americans really rely on and, and need, right? The problem is this right here, and it, we hear it too much from the right and more progressives need to talk about it. Our U.S. national debt is $33 trillion. So you're suggesting to me that we bet our future on that and say, you will be okay. You will be able to have food, a job, housing, because we have all these government programs to support that. When the U.S. national debt is $33 trillion, what I'm looking towards is to alleviate poverty and get someone out of poverty where they don't have to rely on trusting this. Like that is the point, because this is not something you can trust. When this collapses, I don't know. And again, I don't try to talk about things like this in terms of like a main clip or try to get clickbait. I think there's too many economic podcasts, Bitcoin podcasts that are like, look at this. It's a, it's a matter of time, right? And they'll get a lot of clicks, a lot of views. Like I'm saying this 
because I genuinely care. And I think there are a lot of citizens in this country and the Democratic Party are lying to people saying this is not a concern. Like, I love the Progressive Caucus's values that they have literally on their website. I went over this with Bradley. But the Progressive Caucus says we don't need to worry about the national debt. To worry about the national debt is actually racist. We don't need to do that. That's literally some quotes that they have said. Like, that is not a concern. It is, and you're lying to people, right? Now, we don't need to overstate the concern in saying that all of our government welfare programs are going to die tomorrow. But we are servicing our debt at a massive amount. I, the figure is, it's got to be here somewhere. Interest on national debt, $690 million, billion, billion um, right now, right? So the, the actual payments on our, our interest is, is massive. And again, I will say this over and over. I'm saying this as team left, progressive. Like, let's not have, you know, conservatives, Republicans have all the fun here. This is a massive issue that we should be aware of. Bitcoin gives you some property rights and some money today that is separate from all of this. It, it is. So I would just think about that. Not financial yeah. advice, but I would, I would <laughs> think about that. It's deeply troubling. Yeah, it just I is. that's a really well said, especially with the graphic in front of people, which I do think is important for people to look at. And you're right, I think. And if, if, if people get, you know, people should, I think, frame that as, Debt is kind of you're borrowing from the future, and at some point that needs to be there. There are consequences to that. Like at some point that that bill does get does get paid one way or or another. And so if you care about, I mean, I'm a parent. I care about um, my my daughter. Um, I, I will have other children, and I will care about them as well. If you're somebody who, and I think most progressives would say, we want. The, the reasoning a lot, you know, behind progressives being uh, you know, so passionate about the climate is we're thinking about the future, you know, thinking about how can we preserve this, this beautiful earth um, and all the beautiful things in it for future generations, not just um, you know, because it's, you know, it's, it's really fun to take you know, hikes over mountains and streams and stuff, but because we also want to inhabit the planet um, in a way that is you know, not dystopian um, or something out of like the day, you know, the day after tomorrow, um, which mm -hmm. I just rewatched the other day and is, uh, did you, I haven't it, seen it in it, forever. It holds yeah. up, you know, the special effects are, the, the special effects are, I'm kind of a, yeah, not to go down the route, but, but I'm, I'm, uh, I love those types of movies, the natural disaster movies, the yeah. climate. We're going to, I'll just add this before I forget. We're going to need a part two where we just talk about film and music, uh, of just a separate yeah. conversation. You know, this I one was like agree. heavier. <laughs> We're going to need a part two with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yes, I mean, I think like, you know, I think progressives, um, and, and I don't think that this is exclusive to progressives either. I don't think progressives have a monopoly on giving a shit about the future. Um, yeah, I think that's, I yeah think that, would, that would be kind right. of rude to um, suggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, think I, I would say that. Yeah. And I think, um, but I, I do think like if you, if you are, if you honestly care about the future, you, you have to look at, at the debt. You have to look at it seriously. If you're not looking at it, you're just not being serious um at all and, you, and you're right you know the progressive platform of you know informed by the economic theories of, of people like stephanie kelton and you know modern monetary theory you know the debt doesn't matter um nobody cares because uh i mean i think that is just kind of objectively crazy i mean i, I think you could tell a sixth grader that and they would say well wait a minute just common sense you know smell test i don't think that that is um you know passing muster um, but for whatever reason, you know, you and I were talking before, and I think there's some 
growing appetite um, on the left to think about the debt. But the way that I think these things usually go is the left kind of says, all right, great. If you guys want to talk about debt, let's talk about taxes. Um, and the right says, well, let's talk about cuts. Um, and then we kind of just stall out there. And so, you know, Bitcoin, like you said, gives you some, some property rights outside that system where you're, you're kind of almost hedging a little bit. You're almost uh, betting on, you know, politicians not figuring that out, um, which I think it, it's kind of hard to imagine them figuring it out. Um, but yeah, so uh, well said, powerful graphic. Yeah, you know, I'm literally on the progressive. I, I might not be able to find it here. Um, you know, there's some things like the progressive caucus, they'll, they'll be like ending our forever wars, cutting the bloated Pentagon budget and prioritizing diplomacy. That's great. That's actually talking about a budgetary thing. So I'm like, you have to apply that same logic across the board. That does not mean, because I think there's so many different, very practical things and practical solutions towards budget deficits that don't involve, you know, sometimes Republicans will blatantly say, we're going to cut this, which is like the most popular and supportive, um, you know, policy or legislative item on the budget, right? It's, it's not that. So just uh, applying that to, to different areas is, is really, really important. Um, and I, so I think there's room for conversation, which, you know, you and I are the type of people that we want to target people who will listen and give a damn, like, you know, we're not, we're not doing this. This isn't the, you know, Democrat party, Bitcoiner. this isn't, you know, supporting a, a, a specific politician or party platform, like you were mentioning. And going, going back quickly too, to what you said, it is true. You know, one of the ways the current progressive platform is not really caring as much about the deficit. And I would argue both parties do this when they're in power. I, I, I will be honest, but, um, you know, the deficit has gone up more in many cases under a Republican president than a democratic president, depending on the time, um, especially with wars and things like that. So this is a, uh, an issue, uh, regardless of, of party, but there are some in the progressive party that would say, you know, this is the only way about uh, to bring about change is an ultimate welfare state. Um, and now I think a lot of progressives and even progressive Bitcoiners would disagree on certain policy items. Like I might be more in favor of some welfare state items than you would be. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, but just an example. And that, and that's okay. Right. There's some things where fortunately, unfortunately we've built up these systems that people really rely on. So if we remove them to balance a budget, how many people will die? Those are some things I think about as a Bitcoiner. I'm like, there's the, the theoretical right thing to do for the budget philosophically for the next 100, 200 years. In the immediate term, though, because of poor decisions over years and years and years, passing the baton between political parties, how many people will suffer and is that worth it? You know, you have to think about, and that's harm reduction. We're asking deeply philosophical questions at this point uh, about those type of things. I would say Bitcoiners and you and I probably deviate from the progressive caucus or from Democrat politicians about these things. Like these things are real and they are those principles within Bitcoin and what we're trying to do are antithetical to the Democratic Party's positions on how to address change in certain moments. So I, I would say that and I don't want to pretend that's not the case. For some progressives, they would probably not be team Bitcoin unless they can disassociate from that. That'd be my personal opinion on that. Yeah. Um, and, and I largely agree. I mean, I think the, 
the really brutal reality is that I don't think that there is any easy, um, there's no easy way out of, uh, I was just thinking of Rocky for no easy way out in the soundtrack, but there's no easy way out of the debt situation that you just put on screen. Um, there's no, I think any Bitcoiner who thinks we're going to have this kind of magical transition or this clean transition, um, you know, passing the monetary baton from you know one system to a new one that involves Bitcoin to some degree. Uh, I think that is that's kind of delusional um, and and wishful thinking. Uh, I, there's suffering on in sort of every direction. Uh, we can speculate about the suffering that will that that will happen, you know, in future generations if we allow this debt situation to grow the way that it's growing now. But it's it's hard to speculate that and what you were saying certainly is more immediate um and i think we can probably envision that more readily and 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 we and we should envision that because we should be balancing that as well but i think it's 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 tough it's a tough uh there, there isn't it's not an easy road ahead we've created this situation and now we have to figure out a way to course correct that minimizes the damage in the present moment while also not completely forfeiting the future and sort of ensuring that there will be future suffering for the you know subsequent generations for our kids um and uh you know for our our children's children so um but it's it is admittedly difficult to with any degree of certainty kind of cast your eye that far into the future and accurately assess what that damage looks like but but I think we can pretty confidently say if the debt continues to grow the way it is growing now, we are going to incur consequences that will likely be quite severe um, in the future. Yeah, and I think I, I I have very little respect for any leader that doesn't talk about that dichotomy. And you know, I think a lot of people would respect, and again, this isn't a pitch for me to say, oh, you have to be engaged in a political process or not. I think there's strong arguments either way and people should make that decision for, for themselves. It's the reality we live in. Um, and I'm still a bit engaged in the political process also as a, as a Bitcoiner. I think it's important personally, um, but I, I understand the different arguments. I would at least like to hear from a leader, all right, we're in a really shitty position and you know, there's some, some things that are going to be good and some things that are going to be bad let's proceed and let's figure out how to address this while keeping suffering at a minimum while also building us on a sustainable path. Anyone says that I have all the answers, there are going to be no suffering and only positive impacts is not being truthful. And I would hope regardless of political persuasion, if people thought about it for a second, I would like to think we can all agree on that. You know, and there's been, there's been leaders in the past that hard things have faced this country and the world and they've done things that have been hard but morally right. Um, this day and age, it seems to be completely gone from the rhetoric. It only seems to be politically motivated and not morally motivated. And that does not mean there were many leaders in the past. Again, talking with my wife about this last night, she's the greatest research buddy for these conversations. You know, it's really complicated. Like our our nation was founded by men with a certain moral compass that made some really, really great things. They also had slaves. You know what I mean? So it's like, and that's a very uh, common, we've talked, you know, people have talked about this before, but that's a dichotomy. Um, you can have really, really moral decisions that are made 
while bad things are still happening by those same people. Nowadays, I only get a sense of political ambition and not a moral compass from any leader, for the most part, who finds themselves in that top echelon. Yeah, lack of moral compass. And I think lack, we lack the kind of collective fortitude or, or maybe a, a collective identity that would, that would make people more inclined to make certain sacrifices, especially generationally. I mean, I think if this were a movie, Trey, I would imagine if we lived in a movie, if our country was a movie, we would have some leader that would come up, um, you know, and, and offer a very sobering, uh, you know, make a, a very sobering speech to the country and say, listen, boomers, um, older generation, I admit we've made mistakes. Like we as in politicians, like we have made some errors. Um, and now we are in this situation and I, we're going to have to ask you guys to make some sacrifices for your kids basically. And it's going to be tough. It's not going to be fun. You know, in some ways you have enjoyed a little bit of this, you know, party, this debt-fueled party yourselves, and you've probably enjoyed it to a, a greater extent, certainly in terms of houses and wealth than, than your kids or your kids' kids have. Um, but now, if you care about the future, you know, we need you to make a sacrifice a little bit for that or else this is all over. And then in the movie version, all the those folks would, would you know, have tears coming down their eyes. They would be moved and uh, and we would all be crying in the audience and they would say, yes, and, and, you know, we would, we would move forward. Um, I doubt that's going to happen, but you know, you were talking about leaders in the past. I mean, I was thinking of this Churchill story, um, you know, Churchill, not a perfect human, not a perfect human being, but you know, when he was essentially allowing London to be bombed, um, because he was working on, I forget what he was, what he was doing. He was, he was trying to sort of play the shadow game where he could, I think, uh, bomb, uh, to, um, like sort of where the Nazis were manufacturing planes or something like that. He was trying to do a decoy or something. And, and one of his, you know, somebody close to him said, you're just going to let London get bombed. And he was kind of, and it needed to happen. He was, and his response was London can take it. Um, and everybody, and it doesn't mean that, I mean, it was horrible. I mean, people died. Um, but like he, the larger mission when I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I mean, these are, this is wartime decision-making, and it's tough. But and, war is horrible. And there are no and people rosy make, outcomes. Exactly. And people make every decision is tough. And you have to think what is the, you have to have a compass to say what is the ultimate, the ultimate goal here is England survives. England has to survive. If it doesn't survive, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Um, and I think a lot of the people understood that. Um, and, and they knew, and you know, you think of the, the Dunkirk story where there are people are hopping in uh, their tiny little boats and they're going over there to, to rescue people from um, you know, because Churchill put the call out to them and they had, can you imagine anybody in America trying to do that? Um, what our citizens, we don't have that collective, um, well, the, you know the, why Logan, that, as you're saying tissue. this, yeah, as you're saying this, the, I think the real issue is no one knows of the real problems. Whereas back then they would address things. Now, it, it, it wasn't perfect, but I mean, there was all sorts of things. There was different war bonds, but there's also so many stories of how England actually paid for that in debt. And that, that, that was a reoccurring, occurring thing. But at least in some political speeches, there were some moments of truth. Whereas today, the people who are speaking truth, you know, they'll say some things, but it's almost in a like, a, I'm going to drain the swamp truth. So I'm going to, sure, they might say some things that are relatively true, but then they throw in a bunch of other bogus because they want to get elected. It's not like a real normal person who's, who's educated with a team of people informing them saying things that need to be said. 
Then if there is though, where does that person end up? Usually very low on the totem pole of any influential ability to make change at a massive level that's needed. Sorry to cut you off, but as you were saying that, it just clicked for me. I'm like, they were a little bit more truthful in saying, this is the shit we are in. And you're, and you're, you're right though, to point out that, you know, if, if the Nazis are bombing you, um, it's pretty, it's very clear and present, you know, what that danger is and what you need to rally, um, against because it's right there. It's, it's happening. It's on your doorstep. That threat is, is existential. It's imminent and you can see it. You can look at it versus this, what is kind of insidious about the debt situation is that most people can't see it like you, like you, you know, pointed out, um, most people can't see it. And it's also the problem itself is kind of being hidden and masked in a lot of different ways. So people don't see it for, um, I think the threat that it is and, you know, it, it, probably difficult to do so for the, the, the foregoing reasons, but also because it's not something that is going to end the country tomorrow or next week. Like we've said, I mean, this is a long-term, uh, you know, process of deterioration, but at some point you hit the proverbial point of no return where it, it becomes almost impossible without unthinkable pain to, to course correct. And it, which is frankly, candidly similar to trying to talk about climate change, where it doesn't feel to a lot of people like this is going to be a major problem tomorrow um, for a lot of people. And for a lot of people it does, but for a lot of other people, um, they they don't feel the same image, but at, at a certain point it becomes much more difficult to to course correct on that as well. Um so, you know, these these are very real, very serious challenges that require serious people to have serious discussions um with a serious audience of of you know the populace that is willing to seriously consider uh you know, what what lies ahead. Yeah, and I think we're at a at a pivotal point. Um, gosh, I know we could talk for hours more. Um, we'll have to do a round two and a round three and a round four. But I, I guess in kind of the closing moments, you know, if there's there's someone that's listening to this that's like, whoa, okay. Um, like I've had a few. Like uh, by this time, Natalie Smolinski's episode will be out. Lynn's episode already dropped. There's there's somewhere like in Natalie's episode, it was it was some real talk. Um, similar, similar to this, right? For those that are starting to learn about this, maybe they, you know, cause it happened with me. Like I just was getting into Bitcoin and then I heard some of these real talk conversations. Maybe there's some people that have never heard about Bitcoin, but a lot of people listening are either in it or maybe they just started to get in it. What would be some of your recommendation? Because I hope any of these conversations are really a launching point for people that they go read your articles. They go look at some of the debt stuff we're talking about. Like this should be a moment of they go further into education, not, not this is the end all be all. We touched on so many different things here. What would your recommendation be to someone who is from the left, some progressive that's hearing about some of these issues and they're like, yeah, I want to kind of like explore that more. I, um, I don't really know a lot about this stuff or I'm just getting into Bitcoin. I want to see how that can actually help more. Like where you guys are touching on it a little bit, but I want to figure out more, you know, what was helpful for you early on in your journey in terms of resources and just maybe even the types of questions to ask. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think in terms of resources that were important to me um, earlier in my days, um, especially coming to this like like you have from a, um, a left-leaning perspective, um, Troy, 
you know, Troy Cross interviews are really uh, pivotal for me. Um, those are big. I think Jeff Booth's series on um, Robert Breedlove's show, that is, that's like the second guest that he even had on his show. Um, and, you know, I have admittedly mixed feelings about a lot of the episodes of that show. I don't really listen to it really anymore, but Jeff Booth, I think is great. Um, so that, that's really helpful. I think, you know, for people, I'm not trying to advertise myself here, but for, if, if you're, if you're coming from the left. And well, you're, you're, you're on the show. So, you know, that you're, it, it's an advertisement already. Well, so please. <laughs> I will say if you're, if you're wondering how does somebody make that journey? How, how is it that one can go from being, let's say a Bernie supporter to somebody who's into Bitcoin? What does that intellectual journey look like? And what questions, you know, was I kind of asking myself throughout that journey? Um, I wrote a couple of pieces that are in Bitcoin magazine called From Bernie to Bitcoin. Um, I think I talked a little bit about that with Peter McCormick on mm -hmm. an episode of What Bitcoin Did. Um, that, that series is meant to, there actually is kind of an unfinished part three. I don't know if it'll ever come out, but um, but that series was meant to- You have to you know, share that regardless. Yeah. I, wanna, I wanna see that. It, it was meant to chronicle my journey from you know, politically and, and how I got to where I'm at now. And um, so if you're, if you're interested in, in what that journey looks like, I would, I would recommend those. I also think this show um, is becoming not you know, this necessarily episode with me, but this show is becoming kind of a powerhouse of those discussions. The, the episode with Lynn is fantastic. Um, so Thank I would you. recommend yeah. folks go back to also to the, um, some of the conversations that you know, Mark Stefani was having back in mm -hmm. the day with Troy and folks. Great episodes last year. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's uh, just a lot of really, really helpful conversations there. And I would invite people to ask themselves some fundamental questions, you know, things that, that we've kind of been bringing up and touching upon here, like, you know, do you, what is more important to you? Perfect alignment with your political tribal identity or the pursuit of solutions to problems that you think are really significant, really pressing, um, or, uh, tools to advance the values that you hold dear. And I would invite people to cling to those. That is what matters. There's no lie there. Um, you know, listen and listen to yourself there. If that's what you care about, then you need to have an open mind to any solution or any tool that is presented to you that might advance those things, um, or, you know, promote those things. And so less attention paid to, you know, what is, what do my political figureheads think and more kind of listening to your own value set and approaching these new technologies with an open mind to see if they can advance the types of things that you want to um, advance. And I would say also be open to forming new, um, you know, alliances, coalitions with people, be open to having conversations with people that you might have disagreements with in other areas politically and, and understanding that that's okay. Um, and but but trying to find common ground and you were talking about this earlier trey about how we it's a little bit cliche to say that we agree on more than we disagree on but i do think that's true i mean i live in a one of the few purple counties in america um right now and um and i do think that's true a lot of us do care about ultimately about creating a a future in which our kids can flourish and um and if, if that's what you care about there are a lot of other people who care about that too and which is a, a cause for optimism. And I think we don't, we can shed and throw off the shackles of these you know, partisan identities that, that have been 
holding us back and that, you know, the media has been perpetuating and all this stuff, social media, um, we are, we're very much capable of, of throwing those off and, um, and trying to align in new ways, uh, to accomplish things collectively that, that we aren't going to be able to accomplish within our current system. And so I hope that Bitcoin is, serves as, as a galvanizing force for people and they should be, just be open to it. And, uh, and I'm always, if, if people want to chat about stuff, I mean, you can, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm happy to have some, some further discussions and Trey, hopefully we'll, you know, do this again sometime and, uh, you know, cover some more stuff, but, you know, I hope that this was useful to folks and, um, and productive. Yeah. Doesn't it go by fast? Doesn't it feel like, man, there's we, so much else to talk about. It does. You know, it, it, it truly does. Um, you know, I'm learning more and more this show is, I mean, my, my home is in social issues, philosophy, things like that. So these issues are, yeah, it's Bitcoin show, but you know, many episodes more and more, I'll literally do a search on the recording platform and it'll be like Bitcoin was said like five times, right. Or something like that. Some episodes like twice, uh, some episodes are more specific about it. Um, it's because I am here because feel like our world is broken and we need solutions so that's what these conversations revolve around with awesome guests like yourself yeah and i think i think it's a noble mission i'm glad you're doing it and uh you know i'm excited for future episodes awesome well thank you so much logan everyone i'm gonna put his stuff in the show notes please go go back and look at some of these articles and we'll be patiently awaiting for, for more writings for you, from you, Logan, as well. I appreciate that, Trey. Thank you.